Welcome, everybody, to Seattle Sports Union Podcast. My name is Abraham DeWeese. I'm here to introduce you to our co-host today, Matthew Bage, that damn dirty duck, and the, and the soul man, Brian Solak. Today, we have a special guest star in Joe Doyle, director of, is this right, director of drafts from Prospect Live? Wow, we got a director, guys. You gonna direct us? <laughs> well, well, welcome to the show, Joy. Yeah, and a fellow Wazukook too. That makes uh, it even better. You just ruined yeah. it. You just ruined it, Brian. <laughs> Whatever, thanks, for, uh, thanks for having me, guys. I've been looking forward to joining your show for a long time. You guys do uh, you guys do good work. Appreciate that. Thank you. We we're honored. I've I've been listening to you and Jason Churchill on his podcast, and that you you and him. I mean. I'm not going to give him props, even though I have before, but you guys, you guys gel together really well. So yeah, yeah. He and I were kind of, we're kind of yin and yang. I think we we're both kind of, we're glass half full type people, but you know, we're realists about the situation. And uh, I think we bounce, we bounce off each other pretty well. He's a good guy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can you briefly give our listeners a little bit background about what you do, where you, where you're from? Absolutely. Yeah. So born and raised in Tacoma, uh, lived here my whole life. I'm, I'm up in Covington now, but I've uh, been writing since 2011. I was with Coog Fan for three years uh, during my undergrad. Then I uh, popped over and did some work at Baseball America and uh, did about three and a half or four years, I think, at uh, Lookout Landing, maybe less than that, maybe three years at Lookout Landing. Uh, left Lookout Landing not too long ago, and I've been with Prospects Live as their director of draft content for, well, December of 2019. So I guess two and a half years. I don't even know, man. Time is a circle at this point. <laughs> uh, real quick, Lookout Landing, uh, what's your position on Justin Leone? Oh, man, I'm always going to love Justin Leone. Come <laughs> okay. on. All right. I'll, you passed the test for the uh, the, the uh, veteran at Lookout Landing. because Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Used, you it, know listen, its roots. Listen, here's one thing, man. If you want to ask me one thing, Matt, <laughs> I am a I'm a Clint Najat lifer. Oh yeah. I'm a Justin Leon lifer. Good. Travis Blackley <laughs> is a toss-up type of guy, but everyone else is great. <laughs> uh just just for some context uh, to our listeners, Justin Leon was a uh, a, a guy who was prospect in the uh, Mariner system played in Tacoma who's uh, third baseman for a long time and I don't even remember who our third baseman was in the Mariners for a long time and this was early on in the Seattle Mariners blogosphere. Uh, the uh, I was following a ton of different blogs, and one of them was definitely Leon for third, which became Lookout Landing. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, the um, Vinny uh, Vinny Catricola days, and uh, I give you mad props and points right out of the gate for not calling him Justin Leone because even when he was playing for the Mariners, oh. the amount of people that called him <laughs> Justin Leone drove me crazy, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right on. Um, Obviously, we want to talk about the draft, but I, I got to ask: How do you guys come up with the top five hundred plus draft prospects? I mean, is that a, obviously that's got to be a year long job? I mean, how do you guys do it? You know, the real sicko thing is there's over nine hundred names on our board, and all of them wow. have blurbs. And I just feel like releasing any more than it's going to be six hundred next week, but releasing any more than six hundred. <laughs> Yeah, so there's 633 picks this year in the draft, and I just feel like doing anything more than the amount of players getting drafted would just be uh, kind of just a sick exercise in futility. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, but no, I mean, 
I've got uh, I've got seven or eight scouts and writers on my team that do incredible work, and and we all network really well with scouts and front office or uh, front front office executives and scouting directors, and you know talk ball all year long. I mean, uh, we've got guys out at uh, USA College Baseball tryouts right now just taking videos. So it's a it's a year long process, but now is the time it kind of pays off. This three or four week period. Wow how how you mentioned your background, but how did you get this job? I mean, that that's a dream job. I mean, uh, yeah, I it's, it's, it's fun, man. Um, so I, I started at lookout landing and I think in 2018 and I had been writing about baseball, uh, for a long time before that. And in, in 2019, in March of 2019, I, I went through six weeks of scout school and, um, that really kind of gave me a, a foundation on how to evaluate talent and, um, began writing about it obsessively and now we're here <laughs> <laughs> right on uh mlb draft obviously we all know it's coming up july 17th through the 19th who do our seattle mariners get at pick 21 yeah so i uh i mean if i'm in vegas I- i'm putting money on a college pitcher i think they do really well with college pitchers but um i mean gun to my head right now i think there's a couple of shortstops on the board that I think they would like to get. I don't think they're going to be on the board. Uh, I think Oregon state lefty Cooper jerpy is, is certainly uh, in the cards. And I, I think Oklahoma righty Cade Horton is, uh, is another very popular pick. And uh, you know, if I was going with college pitchers, those would probably be my best guesses. All right. You hit it right there. I was going to ask you about Cooper a little bit later, but you you nailed it right there. (laughs) Yeah. We can talk about him all I want, man. I love that kid. The ace from Oregon State University. Uh, I watch a a fair bit of uh, Pac-12 baseball when I'm bored, I guess. (laughs) So it was uh, was, was fun to to watch him. He's he's, he's quite – he's got the – you know what he has? He has the – that presence on the mound Mm -hmm. that I like. Yeah. And, you know, even though he's a guy that doesn't throw 96, uh, he was the best performer in the entire country. He was the best pitcher in the entire country, not just the Pac-12. He absolutely dominated all season. Um, I I compare him quite nicely to a left-handed Paul Sewald, except he's going to have the the ability to start. He's got that really funky low release and uh, puts the ball over the barrel a lot and um, can really turn over a breaking ball. So, Yeah, I think, you know, and another thing, it's been a long time, I think, since the Mariners have drafted a kid from from this area that we can really root for. I mean, obviously, Braden Bishop comes to mind, but uh, you take a guy in the first round and the expectations and hype surrounding his debut really kind of boils to a new level. Mm -hmm. What about Kumar Rocker? I mean, he he obviously we all know he was picked last year by the Mets and he didn't get signed and now he's playing for independent league, but. If, if he's there at pick 21, do the Mariners pick him? I tell you what, Brian, I, I think Kamar Rocker, if you ask me today, I think he is going to be there at pick 21. But a lot of things have changed and a lot of things have remained the same. Um, Kamar Rocker failed a physical with the Mets after refusing to submit his medicals. And uh, from everything that I've heard to this point, he has no intention in submitting his medicals again. Uh, so oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, when those sorts of things bubble up and, and you're just you're a guy that's already 22 and, and you're not willing to you know change course, I think the Mariners are generally a pretty risk averse organization when it comes to pitching arms. So uh, for that for that reason, I don't think Rocker is even in consideration. Okay, and one other favorite that I like 
how about Daniel Susak from Arizona? Is he going to get picked before pick 21? Yeah, I think Susak is going to come off the board somewhere in that 10 to 20 range. Um, I, I don't know. I haven't heard the Mariners connected to uh, college catchers or college outfielders to this point. So um, I really think it's going to come down to, I mean, I'll give you the names. I, I really think it's going to be either a high school shortstop by the name of Jet Williams, a college shortstop at Campbell University by the name of Zach Neto, or I think it's going to be a college pitcher. And that's everything that I've heard, uh, you know, all the buzz surrounding Seattle. And if it's a college pitcher, like I said, uh, look at Jerpy or Horton. Okay. Okay. Fair we enough. Could, we could definitely use some help in the, uh, in the infield in our uh, minor league depth. I'm, um, which I guess I, I want to segue. I want, I want, I'm wondering what you're thinking, what your thoughts are here in, here in, uh, in Everett, where at least Brian and, and I are located. Uh, we have the, uh, the Aqua Sox and we, we cover them religiously right for their programs and, and we're season ticket holders. Uh, Nuelve Marte at short. Uh, I think he hit 205 for the month of June. He's he's struggling for us. I know he's young yet for for this this level, but uh, I've been reading a lot about his projection and potentially moving him to third. And Edwin Arroyo down in Modesto's starting to really catch fire and 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 fit the role of short. How long do we, does does Nuelve have? Do you think before they move him? I. I don't think they're going to move Marte off of shortstop until there's someone in the organization at that level that should unseat him. And that could be Arroyo, but I tell you what, Arroyo is 18 years old. He's not going to turn 19 this season. In my opinion, why rush him? I mean, there's no point in moving him up uh, faster than he needs to be. He's, you know, he, he could like Edwin Arroyo could debut in 2025 and still only be 21 years old. Wow. So crazy to think that. Yeah, I mean he's crazy young. So I just think why why bring him up to Everett and and, and rush his development. So it, for that reason, I think Marte probably sticks at shortstop all season. Um but going into 2023, you know, I think there's a very real chance he gets moved off the position. You know, he's he's listed at 661180. I can tell you flat out Noelvi Marte is all of 6364. 215 220 and it's just too big for a shortstop um and that's you know that's okay he's he's going to be a power hitting corner infielder and um that's you know that's a very it's still a very good offensive profile and someone you can stick in the middle of the order okay i gotta go back to the draft real quick (laughs) is is, is drew jones going to be the number one pick in the in the major league baseball draft Man, we'll see. Uh, I mean, if I had the pick, I wouldn't overthink it. I would certainly take Drew Jones one one. Um, I mean, how, what is there? What is there not to like about him? I mean, he's he's slender and lean, and uh, he's got a quick bat. He's going to get really strong. He comes from a, you know, arguably a Hall of Fame center field father. Uh, he can really hit. He can really throw. Um, I just think he's so much better than every other player in this draft. And he checks every box in this draft with no red flags that I I know the Orioles, you know, want to think about saving some money and spending more money later in the draft. But boy, I I just think uh, paralysis by analysis can get you hurt sometimes. Do you think he has a potential to be better than his father, Andrew Jones, who played for the Atlanta Braves? Yeah. So I would Andrew Jones won 10 gold gloves. I, I he's a, he's a borderline Hall of Famer. Yeah. Uh I mean the only reason he's not in the Hall of Fame is cuz his peak was so short. 
Exactly. And he, uh, he kind of fizzled out there towards the end of his career and kind of brought down his numbers. Um, so I'm not going to say Drew Jones is going to be better than his dad, but I do think he has a chance to be something akin to Byron Buxton. I think he's, he's that talented. Okay. I, I got to ask, I mean, I was going to wait till later in the show, but I got to ask about local boy uh, from Bainbridge Island, J.R. Ritchie, who's a pitcher. What are your thoughts on him and where do you see him going in the draft? I love Richie. I, I went out and watched him pitch three times this year. Uh, I watched him uh, once as a, maybe twice as a high school junior. And uh, I've seen him up to 97. Wow. Uh, he usually, yeah. I mean, he, and it's a, it's a buttery clean delivery too. Like you just know that he's going to be a starter. Uh, there's not a whole lot of reliever risk. He pounds the zone with strikes. Um, he's got a, a really dynamic slider that gets a lot of swing and miss when he keeps it uh, close to the zone. And um I think that the thing with J.R. Ritchie is if I, I mean, he's got a full ride offer to UCLA. Uh, he, he could go to UCLA and because of that, his signing bonus demands are, are probably going to be pretty high. So it depends on if a team is willing to pay him, you know, whatever he asks for, whether that be like $3 million um, or whether or not people want to see what he looks like at, at UCLA. But I can tell you uh, talking to scouts and, and talking to people close to the game, Nobody would be surprised if this guy goes to UCLA and ends up looking like Garrett Cole. I mean, he's not, yeah, yeah. He's not as physical as Garrett, Yeah, but he's got the, uh, he's got the silky smooth delivery and he's got the really, um, I guess you could say really hungry fastball and uh, yeah, he checks every box, man. Can he he have a press conference where he can actually answer a direct question about sticky (laughs) substance and actually like give an answer? I'm not going to put that on a 17 year old right now. I don't know what these 17 year olds did. I don't know if Richie's doing it, but I can tell you, having watched a lot of high school baseball, there's a lot of sticky stuff out there still on the high yeah, school. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not accusing him of using yeah. seeds, but I'm just making fun of Garrett Cole. My apologies. <laughs> um, I want to. I want to. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna steal the, the spotlight for a second and ask about a different prospect. Uh, this one only made it to the number 268th of your your top 500 <laughs> list, and I'm wondering why he's so low. And I'm gonna butcher his last name and probably his full name. But Gerangelo Sanjay? Close. The, pretty the, good. Pretty okay. good. Okay. <laughs> so it's it's Gerangelo Chinjay. Gerangelo Chinjay. Okay. okay. Yeah. So okay. um so here's the thing. Um okay, for context, everyone that doesn't this is the this is the guy who made it big on Twitter because he can throw both right and left. Yeah. And, and uh not only and, that, he throws 90 from both sides. Yeah, he throws 90 and he's accurate and he's got some good mm-hmm. pitches. Yeah, so I think it comes down to this. It's a cool, like, I don't want to go as, as low as to say it's a party trick because it's not a party trick. I mean, it's, it's, it's real talent, um, but it's neither side is like extremely terribly uh, projectable and usable. Like you want guys that are, are long and lean and, and project to, you know, throw harder, but it's a, it's a kid that has a fastball that's been up to 95 from the right side, up to 90 from the left side. He has a slider. It's not really consistent. It's kind of below average. And so when you actually kind of insert that whole profile into a a big league organization, really, at the end of the day, he's just a right-handed pitcher that throws 95 without a real dynamic breaking ball. So while it's super cool, I I mean, what what the kid can do, he's a unicorn. Yeah. But it's not necessarily like he's not Pat Venditti. Like it, it just it doesn't really work. 
So you can't <laughs> see him in a in a potential like relief role where he could be out there and pitch to you know righty to one batter and then left to do the next batter or whatever. You don't think his stuff is is good enough to do that? So I think it is, and I think that certainly when he when he goes, he's going to Mississippi State. He he could get drafted. I think he's probably going to get drafted uh, three years from now. Um, but I look at it this way: like baseball has moved, the stuff has gotten so good that I think if you are relying on a pitcher to switch gloves to get batters out, his stuff probably isn't very good in the first place. Uh, I mean, you look at a guy like Paul Sewald, right? Mm-hmm. Paul Sewald doesn't have unbelievable stuff, but what he does do is he commands the baseball. He mixes it up with just two pitches and both pitches are dynamic enough to get out righties and lefties at, at a similar clip. And so I think if you're a big league organization and you're kind of relying on a party trick to get guys out uh, back and forth, there's probably just better options. Fair enough. Okay. Well, uh, sorry, sorry, Brian, but uh, this segues nicely into uh, another question <laughs> I had, which was the you know the switch. The, a couple of years ago, we we saw a lot of a lot of different pop top prospects who were, well, for lack of a better term, switch players. They could both hit and they could both pitch. And they wanted to do both. They wanted to be Otani. And and it seems like it's kind of become a fad. Like it, they, none, none of them really panned out or they got hurt or they, they you know, the, the, they got drafted and then they got told, guess what, you're only doing this. Um, is, is that – are we ever going to see another wave of those kind of players actually at the major league level? Or is Otani the unicorn and we'll never – See that again. Yeah, I mean, I think I wouldn't go as far as to say a wave. I definitely don't think it's going to be a thing that that sticks around. I do think you're probably going to see one every 10 years. I mean, there's just a generational phenom type that comes through every now and then, now and again. But I mean, you look at uh, Louisville 2017 first rounder, I think fourth overall pick, uh, Brendan McKay. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, That's who came to mind? Yeah, he's tried to do both for a long time, and his body is just breaking down. Um, so at the end of the day, I don't personally think we're going to see. Let me put it this way: if there's a two-way player that is actually going to do both ways, you are going to know about it, and there's no, there's not going to be a question about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. like these burly-bodied, six foot one. Oh, I can slug. Oh, I can pit. Like. No, Otani is six foot four with the wingspan of Giannis Antetokounmpo. Like <laughs> people aren't built like that. And so those are the guy. like the freaks are the ones, the outliers are the ones that might make it work. <clears throat> nice. Um, ben Joyce, I, I believe he pitches for Tennessee. I mean, does he really throw 105 miles per hour? He does. Yeah. So we were at that game. Um, oh, we no were at way. The- I wasn't personally at that game. One of my writers was at that game with his radar gun and he didn't get 105.5. He got 105.3, but um, the 105.5 came through the TrackMan system that okay. is uh, kind of regulated or if you will, by the school and by the NCAA. So it's kind of official. Um, and here's the thing, like not only does he throw 105, there's a lot of guys out there that, Oh, I touched 105. I, I mean, not a lot, but he's, always over 101 like it's always over 101 um i will say this let me caution you by just saying he doesn't stay in the zone very much okay um when you're throwing 105 and you're throwing a 94 mile an hour slider to 19 year olds at alcorn state 
<laughs> they're going to start swinging before it leaves your hand. They're going to, you're going to get a ton of strikeouts just because these guys aren't very good. As he gets to the pros, he's going to have to really throw those pitches in the zone to be an effective reliever. And so that's why, you know, if, if he was just dot in the zone, if he was all over the strike zone, he'd have been a first round pick. But for that reason, I think he's probably going to go in the third round. Okay. Okay. Does he have potential to be a future closer though? If he goes to the oh, right yeah. team? Definitely. Definitely. I mean, all he really has to do is uh, the slider. Like I said, he throws the slider 94. I mean, imagine it's like Andres Munoz on steroids. It, it, <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you get this kid in the zone, you get him close to the zone. I don't care if you're Mike Trout, good luck hitting 105. Like, I mean, that's not easy. I think he can, uh, with the right, you know, training and, and, you know, the right guiding hand down the road, uh, you think he can beat the uh, MLB record if he makes it to the majors? I think so. I mean, 105.8? Nine. Nine. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's funny is um, if he does break the record, Araldis Chapman has 105.9 tattooed on his forearm. And uh, (laughs) I, I hope he, I hope he goes and gets all that ink scrubbed and, and gets his ego kicked out the door, but um yeah i mean i i listen if you're if you're hitting 105.9 at 21 years old 22 years old um i'm not gonna say you're gonna get stronger and throw harder because i think you're kind of at the pinnacle of what the human body can do true yeah we're right i mean if you get him out there and it's a 10 run game and you know he hasn't pitched for five days and you just say hey kid like here's your shot like give it everything you got on your first pitch i could see it (laughs) <laughs> that's awesome that really is um who, who i know you talked about the mariners and their first round pick and their options but who do you see the mariners going after i mean in the first few rounds are they do they need to fill more of their pitching staff their infield i mean what are your thoughts are they are here oh yeah, let me let me add to that are they going to pull an angels from last was it last year where they went like 20 pitchers for the first 20 rounds or whatever it was. <laughs> I, I don't think so. I, I do think they're going to end up with a, with a high school shortstop with one of their first three picks. But yeah. um, I'll say this, man, like you look at the Mariners organization right now, and I was talking to Jason about this earlier. There, there are so many teenagers in their top 30, 40, 50 prospects right now. The organization really needs some reinforcements in Everett uh, in, in, in Arkansas. So I do think that you're going to see a pretty heavy glut of college pitchers in their first 10 rounds um, because they just, frankly, they need some filler. They've got a few guys that are close to the big leagues, um, but they've got so many guys that are 19 and 18 that are far, far away. So they kind of need to fill that void. Who You mentioned they have a few guys close to the big leagues. Who, who, who in your opinions, give me, give me a couple names, please. Well, I, I don't know if close to the big leagues is necessarily the right way of saying it, but I, you know, they're, they're 23, they're 24. They're not teenagers. Mm-hmm. Like you look at Levi Stout, you look at Emerson Hancock, like those guys are probably going to be big leaguers um, by the end of 2023. And, you know, Jared Kelnick has graduated from rookie status, but he's in, uh, he's in Tacoma. And, you know, besides that, there's, there's not a whole lot more in that 23, 24 year old range that is going to impact this big league ball club soon. I will say Everett's got a kid, Bryce Miller, that you guys have probably seen pitch a few times. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, he's electric. I I think he's going to ultimately end up being a reliever, but um, there's just not – 
you look at this organization, there's not a whole lot of 21 and 22 year olds besides uh, Marte. So they, they need some, they need to fill that gap. You, you mentioned Bryce Miller. I just wanted to add a side note. We interviewed him three weeks ago, two weeks ago. He, yeah. there's, the interview is up on uh, SeattleSportsUnion.com. Uh, great kid and incredible, incredible potential. Kid, yep. yeah, he, we agree with everything you said about him. He's, he's lights out. Yeah. Um, but you mentioned Jared Kellenick. Uh, we, we, we wanted to ask you what, what your thoughts are and what's going on there down in Tacoma now and not doing as well as the first time around, I guess. Yeah. I'd say, you know, I'd say it's a different trip for Jared and it's no longer just go down and, and uh, perform it's go down and you've got some things to work on. Um, I look at it this way and Jason and I talked about this too. He he's, he's getting too big. He's really getting stiff Um, He's turning himself into a corner outfield slugger. And I think if you're, you know, if you're a guy that's six feet tall, 215 pounds, that's a lot of muscle to carry. And, you know, you've seen some hamstring injuries at this point. You've seen some, some pulled muscles. I I don't want to see him, you know, be a 24, 25 year old that uh, is limited in his ability to run out balls in the corner and things like that. But as it pertains to, you know, who he is at the plate, um, I think some of the weight gain and some of the muscle is, has made his athleticism at the plate disappear a bit. I think he's too stiff. I think it, uh, I think he struggles to get to fastballs at the top of the zone because of the player that he's turned himself into. But I mean, it all really boils down to, you got to have the ability to hit. You can't just hit for home runs. You can't just try to pull the ball with home run power all the time. You got to be able to spray the ball into that left center field gap or go down the left field line. And I will say this, He's striking out and he, it doesn't really matter to me. All the highlights that I've, that I've seen, even when he goes one for five, his base hit is the other way. It's into the left center field gap. And and that really has me uh, encouraged. I could care less if he hits a 450 foot home run to right field. I really don't. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. We know we can do that. Oh yeah. So Um, Go ahead, Matt. I was just gonna say. So, do you, you think he? You think he's fixable? He's absolutely still fixable, or or is he blessed by the Mariner curse of uh, prospects that ever? <laughs> that, you know, Abraham is is now laughing because he likes to give me a hard time because I'm always high on Mariner prospects. No, here's the thing. Like, I like to be optimistic. I I I will repeat this until let's. I mean, let's say the end of next season, the end of 2023. He's 22 years old. Yeah. He is so, so, so young. I mean, Cal Raleigh, we see the struggles that Cal Raleigh had last year as a 25 year old. Yeah. Uh, you got to, mm-hmm. you got to remember Jared Kelnick right now is younger than Emerson Hancock. Mm-hmm. Um, he's younger than Bryce Miller. He's, you know, just barely older than Noelle Marte. I mean, I don't want to go as far as to say that the Mariners rushed him, but he's still in a developmental portion of his career. So, I don't want to uh, genuinely, I, I don't think seeing Seattle again this year would do him any good. I think being in Tacoma all year would do him more good. And let's see what he looks like next February. Let's see what he looks like in spring training. And, you know, you have to, if you're Jerry DePoto this offseason, you have to go and get two outfielders or re sign Mitch Hanniger and get another outfielder because nothing should be promised to Jared Kelnick right now. He should have to earn every at bat at the big league level. But, uh, that's a long-winded way of saying I still think he can be a guy that hits 270 with 30 home runs. 
Um, I don't think he's going to steal, you know, 20 bags, but I still think he could be a really, really good all-star level outfielder. You mentioned uh, on Jason's podcast, baseball things about um, how the manager should do a exit interview or I don't know how you, I apologize. I don't know how you phrased it, but with Jared going into the off season, I mean, what does, what do the manners need to tell him he needs to work on in the off season? Yeah. I told him that uh, if I'm Jerry, if I'm Justin Hollander, if I'm Scott, uh, I'm telling him to lose eight to 10 pounds. And I know that's a weird thing to say to a kid that's 22, that's muscled up. But um, right now I think he's playing at about 215, and I'd really like to see him down in that 203 to 205 range. Uh, get some of that athleticism back. Just get some of that feel with your hands. Get some of that twitch back in the box. I, I don't want his offensive output to come strictly by way of like thundering muscle. I don't think that's the player that he is or the Mariners want him to be. And I think losing some of that just like sheer bulk uh, might go a long way for him. So uh, I-, I would say, you know, get off the heavy lifting in the winter. Uh, he's a huge, he's huge into heavy, heavy lifting. I'd back away from that. I would just, you know, do light lifting, lots of cardio. <laughs> like I know how to lose weight. Uh, <laughs> you know, just just work on BP. Just go the other way with the baseball. Uh, don't work on. I don't want to see him come to Seattle next year in February weighing 218 pounds. Like it just doesn't work for his frame. Okay, I like that answer. Um, Adam Mako, he, who's currently pitching with the Everett Aqua Sox. Honestly, I don't know what's going on with him right now. Uh, If he's got an injury or what, what are your thoughts on Adam Mako? I mean, he seems to not having, he's having a good year, but not a great year. What are your thoughts? Mako's tough for me. I I think he's going to end up being a reliever, but I think he could be a really good reliever with a good breaking ball. But um, yeah, his velo has been down and his command has, has kind of faded a little bit. But, you know, that's another kid that has dealt with injuries He's still very young. I'm not sure how long Seattle is going to keep him in a, in a rotation spot, just the way he's performed. Um, So I'd kind of like to see, you know, I'd like to see maybe him, uh, I guess probably start for the rest of this season, but maybe we reevaluate things next year because I think he could be a dynamic reliever. What are your thoughts on the uh, current closer for the Aqua Sox, uh, Isaiah Campbell? Yeah, I like Isaiah a lot. I think he's got a really good breaking ball. I think he is another guy that's dealt with a lot of injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the fastball command really needs to take a step forward. I, I Listen, Isaiah Campbell to me is a surefire reliever. I don't think there's any way that he's going to start at the big league level, not with his his command and um, you know some of the other traits that go along with his profile, but um, I think if he can get up to the big leagues and, and just be kind of a, a fastball breaking ball type of low leverage guy, I think that role would, would suit him. But I will say, you know, Campbell was drafted. This is year four. So um, yeah. he's going to have to be rule uh, rule five, excuse me, rule five eligible at the, at the end of this season. And, uh, you know, he's still only in Everett. So, so I'd like third, to see him. It's his third time as an Aquasock. Yeah. 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 I'd like to see him tested uh, a little bit as a reliever at Arkansas because, um, you know, him and, and, and Sam Carlson is in the exact same uh, kind of mold. Like, you got to get these guys moving. You know, Sam Carlson is in year six, and he's in Modesto. Something's mm-hmm. got to move. Um, without Sorry, being Brian. Sp- I know I beat you to the punch on your favorite player. But- no, you're fine. 
Apparently, I'm a stalker of Isaiah Campbell. Yeah, he's, it's, he's the president of, of Isaiah. We could talk about that another time. Um, <laughs> you, you, and you and Jason talk about all these international signings and the future of these international signings. I mean, can you go more in depth? I mean, are these guys committed to coming to Seattle? I mean, I don't have names. I apologize, but go in. Will you please talk about a little bit about these future international signings? Yeah, I mean, so. The international market is really in flux right now. The way that the system is set up, these kids uh, have signing bonus, like verbal handshakes with their teams at the age of like 15. So anybody that has agreed to be a Seattle Mariner, I should say 95% of them are going to end up signing with the Mariners because there's, you know, a a relationship with the trainer and uh, there's a relationship with the academy. And there's a lot on the line as it pertains to uh, getting these guys uh, in the, in the organization, but, um, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I know major league baseball and the players association are still trying to hash out uh, a way for an international draft to work. Um, I will say Seattle's going to land its best international prospect since Julio Rodriguez, uh, in January of this upcoming year by the name of Felnine Celestin. He's a shortstop. He's six foot three, he's 190 pounds. He's very, very impressive, and he's going to get more money than Noel V. Marte and Julio Rodriguez got combined. So wow. that kind of gives you an idea for what sort of potential he has. And um, the international draft isn't going to be set up to – it's not going to be set up in time to stop that deal from happening. So you can expect him to be a part of the organization very soon. That's a lot of money. We gave, what, two, two and a half mil to Montez last, this last year? This year. Yes, yeah, so sure, we gave yeah. two point five to Lazaro Montez, mm-hmm. and that was honest. That was more than Julio. That was more than Noel V. Marte as well. So yeah. I mean, there there is an inflationary piece of this, like bonuses and and pools are getting bigger. That's kind of natural, but still, they're they're going to give over four million dollars to this kid, which is wow. an ungodly amount of money. Wow, is right. What position did you say he played? Shortstop. Yeah, okay. it, you're not going to oh. find anybody that's not a shortstop or say, a yeah. center fielder making that much money on the international market. Well, best players are always but shortstop at that age anyway. Oh yeah. Yeah. Whether they, they stay there. That's, that's the question. <laughs> um, I, I got to switch to Wazoo. Being, you and I are both Wazoo guys. We interviewed uh baseball coach from Wazoo, Brian green earlier in the year. I mean, are there any prospects that might get drafted in this upcoming draft from their baseball team? You know, it doesn't, it doesn't look like it. I don't think Washington state's going to have anyone drafted this year. Um, Seeing Kyle Manzardo get drafted in the second round last year was really cool though. I think that did a lot for the, uh, for the school. They do have a 2023 kid who I think has a shot of getting drafted in, in Kyle Russell. He's a shortstop second baseman Um, kind of a, an Adam Frazier type, not a lot of power, but can play second base, can play shortstop, plays a good defense, can hit a little bit. Um, but no, I mean, uh, no, nobody this year, and uh, they surely need some of those arms that they've got to uh, develop this winter and then kind of turn it up a notch. Okay. Do you like, and being a former alumni, do you like, the, like Brian Green as coach of the baseball team? Oh, yeah. I mean, Green is uh, – if nothing else, he's an incredible ambassador for the school and uh, for for the for the program. I think Brian Green really personifies Pullman perfectly. 
he, he does the tailgating thing. He hangs out with the alumni. Uh, I, I think he's the perfect coach for Washington state. Now I, I really just want to see him get that program uh, back on the right track because uh, they've brought in some good recruiting classes over the last few years. And, you know, we'd, we'd like to see him perform on the field. That's for sure. <clears throat> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, well, while we're talking about Wazoo, uh, Brian reminded me of this before the, before the show. Um, <clears throat> being a, an alum from uh, Wazoo, you, you went to the, I'm sure you went to the Coug every now and then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay so next th- there's a place right next door i don't know if you're familiar with it the midnight cookie uh delivery place uh-huh i'm that- curious <laughs> about that place we've been there a couple times the last couple of years and 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 you know brian's shown me around the camp me and abraham around the campus and and uh i've always been fascinated by it. did you ever have a cookie delivered to your uh your apartment or your <laughs> dorm uh after midnight i mean <laughs> so uh <laughs> midnight uh midnight cookie was added the year i left so it's oh, only, it, oh. yeah. but i tell you what man right in front of the coog they have always had food and just uh, things to do after a nefarious night on that town <laughs> um yeah i mean i've i've had i've had a, a good deal of uh post midnight munchies in Poland that's for sure <laughs> well just, said I've, well I've said. always been fascinated by that business model of we'll deliver the cookie to you you know what's crazy room. Matt the crazy thing is and I, I think it's gone now thank god but uh two doors down from the Coog there used to be a, a tattoo parlor okay and uh let me tell you I saw people going in there that definitely didn't pass the sniff test about <laughs> being sober for a tattoo. Like, and I think they got all their business from 11 PM on. It was, uh, oh, yeah. I, it was very shady, but I don't, <laughs> I don't think it's there anymore. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, speaking of Wazoo, we have to, we, we should probably, we, we, we should probably not let you leave without discussing at least a little bit of the big news today. Uh, Pac-12 is probably dead. We don't know yet, but we do know that the that the California school or the LA schools are leaving uh, the Pac-12. What do you think is next for Wazoo? Yeah, man, it it it, uh, it really saddens me because you know Wazoo's been a member of the Pac-12, Pac-10, Pac-8 for sixty years. Yeah. Been to multiple mm-hmm. Rose Bowls. You know we've we've been right at the jaws of a potential national championship. Uh, but all along the way, you know, what has made Pullman and Washington State special is it's a small town in the middle of a wheat field that um, is like courage over muscle. And, you know, I think that's kind of what's been the appeal for so many people. And unfortunately, when when college athletics moves to such a and listen, I understand capitalism more better than anyone when it moves to such a capitalistic process the small towns that can't support big nil deals and can't support revenue sharing and can't support all these things that make these major institutions tons of money uh, they, they kind of get left in the dust so m- my anticipation is i think you know the university of washington and then oregon will end up in the big 10 or the big 12 uh in very short order and Unfortunately, uh, you know, I think there will probably be a two year span there where where Utah State and, you know, Boise State and Colorado State are added to the to the Pac-10 to Pac-12 to, to keep it breathing. But ultimately, 
Um, you know, I, I think, I think the big schools are going to go to the super conferences and there's just going to be a realignment in terms of what a quote unquote power five school is. So yeah, it's, it's frustrating, man. I, I, um, I, I hate the idea that, you know, like the apple cup will have to take place on the first week of the year because it's going to be a non-conference scheduled type deal. And yep. it just, I just think the whole system is, is broken and, uh, you know, being approached from the wrong way. Well, they could probably go to the, <clears throat> what is it like week eight or, or nine where sec always plays like, you know, East Carolina teachers college and, <laughs> and, you know, Oregon's playing Stanford, you know, or something like that. And so, yeah, I, I always get frustrated that week because my team's playing a real team and their team is taking a bye week. Uh, but they could always, you know, week eight. That's when they could do the Apple Cup or something like that. I, I, I I'm just, with you. I don't. I don't think it should same. be the first week. There won't be as much on the line. You know, there won't be a Pac-12 conference record spot on the line. I mean, we played for we played to get into the Pac-12 championship multiple times. UW played to get into the. You know, we both. We stopped UW from going to the Rose Bowl. Uh, UW stopped us from going to the Rose Bowl. Like it's happened over the last 15 or 20 years. And now it's like, like I was joking with some of my friends today. I was like, is it going to just turn into the Aztec cup? Like, do I have to start hating San Diego state? Is that, <laughs> is that who we're going to play at the end of the year every year? So they are geo- they, in, in baseball. They are our geographical rivals. The, the Padres. You know, San there Diego. You go. Yeah, the Friar Cup. That's they are. They are uh, <laughs> you know, we're, we're supposed to hate the Padres, but we trade like 100 players a year between the two organizations. Yeah. Yeah. Jerry DePoto and uh, AJ Preller are, are definitely both eager to make a deal. <laughs> we fleeced them last year. Uh, I'm always yeah, that way. The uh, Eddie Vedder Cup. That's what Abe added. That's what they call it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, speaking of that, who do you think the Mariners are going to go after at the trade deadline? Man, or do I, you, you know, think they're going to be buyers or sellers? First of all, yeah, I uh, I, I kind of get the feeling that it's going to be kind of neither. Like, here's the thing: there's there's another playoff spot in both leagues now, so more teams are in it. Yeah, and um, because of that, I think there's going to be a lot more teams trying to buy the talent that's available on the market and. The other part of that is there's not going to be as much talent available on the market. Mm. So uh, for that reason, like I think Seattle is going to probably be four or five games under 500 and they don't have a lot of pieces to sell that are awfully appealing to folks. And um, I don't know if Jerry DePoto is in a huge rush to, to splurge and buy a guy that's going to be on the team in 2023 when you got to pay the, the tax of, you know, having him on the team for 2022 if that makes sense like yeah like why would you go get a player that's going to be controlled in 2022 and 2023 and pay for those you know one and a half two years of of playing time when this year might not end up mattering for the mariners so um yeah i i think it's going to be kind of a quiet deadline for seattle but they might go out and, and rent a rent an outfielder it seems like they need one was was carlos santana a good pickup for the short term or I mean, I didn't mind it. I, I yeah. thought uh, what they gave up was 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 mostly nothing. And, um, I, you know, I think Ty France could actually be out, you know, another five or six weeks. We don't really know. It's a pretty serious injury what he's dealing with. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, listen, at the, you can't you can't run, um, you know, Dylan Moore out there at first base for five or six weeks. You can't do it, oh. especially with like a J.P. Crawford suspension. So they, they needed to do something. And I wasn't going to watch Mike Ford take another at bat. 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and that you mentioned Dylan Moore. Are you, uh, I guess I'm the only one who's, well, I'm not the only one, but I know a lot of people who are kind of done and seeing, you know what I'm seeing? I'm seeing flashbacks of Willie Bloomquist getting 400 at bats in one season. Willie Bloomquist could hit like he, he had He'd a hit, hit 220. Hear, listen, <sighs> Willie Bloomquist never had the ability to hit 20 home runs. And I think oh. if Dylan Moore, Dylan Moore has 20 home run power. I'm not saying he's ever going to do it, but my, oh. my, um, I was with lookout landing and, and my preseason prediction going into 2021 was Dylan Moore was actually going to be the first guy to go 2020 since Mike Cameron. And it didn't end up happening, but, um, he was on pace to do it in 2020. So I like Dylan Moore. I've been a Dylan Moore apologist for a long time. Um, it's the same reason I like Sam Haggerty. He's a quality emergency utility man who can oh, run yeah. into one. He hit a no, homer tonight. He hit a three run homer. Oh, I no, I completely agree. I, I like him as a utility man. Yeah. Uh, my problem, my problem stems from when I start seeing these guys get 400 and 500 at bats. Yeah. And they're starting every night of the week. Mm-hmm. That was my problem with Willie. That was, that was, I, I never had a real problem with him as a player. I just, they were using him way too much. I mean, he shouldn't be. And listen, I don't, you probably remember the conversations at the beginning of the season. And it was, is Dylan Moore going to make this team? He's got an option left. Is he going to go to Tacoma? Um, Abraham Toro was not penciled in as a starter. Luis Torrens was not penciled in as a starter. Um, there was talks that Eugenio Suarez was going to platoon. Uh, I mean, uh, Adam Frazier was going to platoon. Um, so I, I can't recall. I know there's been worse injury seasons, but I I have a hard time finding a more beat up team than what Seattle is dealing with right now. You brought up Terenz, which makes me think of last Sunday when we had the brawl and he got hurt and Angels, a couple players got hurt, I believe. What were your thoughts you about the brawl? I think brawls are funny. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I wouldn't say I enjoy watching brawls, but I think they're funny. Uh, this brawl actually, um, as a, it's just as a Seattleite, it really, it really got under my skin because, um, you know, Seattle didn't, didn't do anything to deserve that brawl. And I thought when they threw it, Julio, um, I didn't like that. It was a high pitch, but I understood, Hey, like that's part of the game. That was your shot at doing it. You missed. But I thought for Phil Nevin to throw at, first of all, to keep the, to keep the opener in for a second inning and then to throw the first pitch at another batter was among the pettiest things I've ever seen a coach do. And with Anthony Rendon and Phil Nevin on the top step yelling at, at Winker, the whole thing felt very, very orchestrated. And um, I don't blame Winker for, for you know, going over there and reacted the way he did. I probably would have done the same thing if I was in his shoes. But the whole thing is just really unfortunate. And it's frustrating that it seems like um, it was little brother angels uh, just picking on big brother, you know, Mariners and um, – yeah, one thing led to another. So it was frustrating, but I think fights in general are kind of funny. <laughs> if Phil Nevin should have got more suspensions, don't you think? I, you know, I think so. Like I was expecting 12 to 15 games, but I, I actually didn't know that a manager's never been suspended for 10 games before. It was a it was a new big league record. So I guess I did not know that either. Wow. Yeah, in that regard, it kind of kind of checks out. 
Interesting. <laughs> um, I didn't know that. No, I didn't either. You know what surprised me the most was Winker getting more games than Crawford. I expected like eight to 10 games for Crawford going over the top rope with those elbows. <laughs> yeah. uh, Winker, I thought was just, um, at, you know, at the, there was video of him at the bottom of the pile, just uppercutting Ryan Tapera. So yeah, I expected like five or six games for Winker and like eight or nine or 10 for Crawford with the way that he acted. Well, the dual, the dual fingers to the crowd as he goes into the dugout probably didn't help either. <laughs> I don't know if he got suspended for that or not. I'm really. Well, not I'm sure, sure that that's that not might have look. added. I'm saying it, it probably didn't help. Let me put yeah. it that way. <laughs> Listen, I, I uh, I'll ride with Jesse Rinker any day. I, I like the way he carries himself. Oh yeah, I think he's uh that guy's a hood rat in Seattle. <laughs> I kind of like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's uh there's a lot of uh, um, people who hate him around the league but it, it's it's because he he's cultivating that he's 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 living on that hate. he's deadpool like, feed me that hate yeah it's delicious you know yeah he is he's just he's likes poking people and yeah. I, I like that you know I compare us- him uh, i compare him all the time i think he's i think he's deadpool he just kind of loves being the villain and he thinks it's <laughs> funny being the villain and uh you can tell like none of it's fake yeah it's just He's just having a good time. It gives, it, you know, what it gives. It gives the Mariners a, some dimension, <laughs> some some uh, some attitude that I, that yeah, I think we've been missing. You know, I think he's liked in the in the clubhouse. I mean, oh, yeah. if he was a guy that was was uh, a pariah, then I, I might feel differently. But um, yeah. it's cool that he can be like the anti-villain and also a, a clubhouse favorite. <laughs> and, and recipient of pizzas ordered by people on Twitter, apparently. <laughs> Yeah, that was a pretty cool story. <laughs> um, look, a couple quick rapid fire questions at you. What are your, in, in one or two words, or if you want to give me a couple of sentences, what are your thoughts on Luke Arkins? I love Luke. I, what, a, <laughs> what a question out of nowhere. Luke, Luke does the most charitable, uh, you know, research for the folks like me that are too lazy to do it on Twitter. <laughs> and I think what he writes is, is incredibly insightful stuff that uh, digs into topics that other people aren't writing about. So yeah, Luke and Luke does it in the shadows too. Like he never looks for any, you know, he's not chasing followers. He's not chasing uh, publicity. He's just, uh, he's like a public servant. It's amazing. Yeah, we had him on the on our podcast a while back. For those who don't know, he writes for Prospect Insider, and he is a wonderful, wonderful man. Yeah, I'm I'm glad glad to hear you you feel the same way we do about him. Yeah, Luke's a good dude. I've actually never met Luke, but I'd like to meet him at uh, at T-Mobile or you know at an Aqua Sox game or a, or a Rainiers game. So um, I keep dragging Jason out to some of these high school games and stuff. We'll get Luke out to one too. You should. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I know I messaged you earlier in the year about Malachi Knight. I know you went to UCLA, but what are you, local boy from Marysville, what are your thoughts? I mean, I know he didn't play that much this year, but is there a future for him? Yeah, so uh, he, he got quite a bit of playing time this year um, before he got hurt, and then he kind of turned it on at the end of the season. He missed like I think he missed like five or six weeks with an injury. So that's why his stats are kind of 
uh, low, but yeah, I mean, I, I think you really started to figure it out there towards the end of the year. And, um, from things that I've heard from within the program, he's made strides with his swing, uh, you know, off the, off the field. So I think next year is going to be a big year for, for Malachi and UCLA is a really, really young program. So he should get, you know, plenty of opportunities to show what he can do, but, uh, tremendous young man, very talented young man can do a little bit of everything. And uh, I hope it clicks for him because um, he's an easy one to root for. Nice. Nice. Very nice. And who's the, what's the best program in his new conference that he's going to have to face now? <laughs> oh, geez. That's a good question. <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, I mean, it might be UCLA. They're kind of on the come up. Uh, it's definitely not USC. USC is a bit of a mess right now. Um, yeah, man, who knows what these conferences are even going to look like three years from now. Like, <laughs> Feels True. like it's feels like it's going to be three 16 team conferences, probably, or okay. or two 20 team. Yeah, uh, how about catcher Andy Thomas of the Everett Aqua Sox, who we just interviewed a couple weeks ago? I mean, what are your thoughts on him? I I asked Jason Churchill about him, and he, he said he's just a space filler. I uh, I would I like him a little more than that. Um, he I'm big into data. It's one, one of the big tools that I use to evaluate players at the amateur level. I want to see how hard they're hitting the ball, their swing decisions. I want to see all that. And uh, he kind of tore the cover off the ball at Baylor to the degree that you don't, you you almost don't expect from a catcher because catchers just don't impact the baseball and, 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 you know, make enough contact at the college level to usually post those types of numbers. But I like Andy Thomas. I, I don't think he's anything more than a platoon type of guy at the big league level, um, but I think he's got above average draw power. I don't know if he's going to hit enough to, to, you know, ever hold down a big league roster spot for a long time. But um, yeah, I, I could definitely see him being a big leaguer and um, kind of the same thing that I see. And I know you haven't asked about this guy, but kind of the same thing I see with Spencer Packard, like, okay. I think Packard hits the ball really, really hard, even though he's not a great athlete and he can't really run. Um, but I think he has enough juice there to, to maybe carve out a couple of years at the big league level. I think Thomas could do the same. Packard's hurt right now. Is it serious? Yeah. Do you know? Or? No, no, it's not. It's, I, from my understanding is it's just a strain. He should be back in a couple of weeks. Okay. Uh, last player for I'm going to ask about is Victor Labrada. Does he, is there a chance it could be a fourth or fifth outfielder or? Yeah, I mean, he's got all the tools of being that guy that can play any outfield spot um, at the at the big league level. I think the concerning thing for me with Labrada this year is the swing and miss is up a little bit. The average is down. But, you know, you're talking about a kid that plays at least an above average center field. He's a plus runner. He can really go get it. Um, doesn't have much of an arm, but it really is. I know it feels like a lazy comparison, but it really is kind of the building blocks of what Guillermo Heredia was. Um, so he's going to have to hit the ball a little bit harder to, to, you know, reach that ceiling, but it has been nice to see him tap into a little bit of power. I think he's got seven or eight home runs this year, which uh, is certainly a a step in the right direction for him. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to throw one last question at you and it's a wild it's it's a it's a player that used to be a mariner and used to be in our prospects and he was my favorite player a few years ago as an aqua sock brandon williamson he's now cincinnati red what do you think he what do you think his long-term prospects are 
you know, that's a tough one, man. I, I really am. Uh, I've, I've been frustrated by him this year. I don't know why he's taken such a step back, but I thought he was the most, I genuinely thought he was the most underrated prospect in minor league baseball going into this year. Um, he struck out damn near more batters than anyone in this organization. His whiff rate was really high. The velo was starting to come. He start, started to get feel for the slider and the curveball. Um, and the only thing that I saw in his scouting report and looking at it is uh, people were ambushing the high fastball. Uh, and he was getting hit hard on the, on the high fastball, and he was giving up a lot of home runs. So long story short, I think Brandon Williamson is going to be a fine, like, number four starter um, if he throws enough strikes, if he stays healthy, but most importantly, if he doesn't turn into the gopher ball guy. Um, before Abraham interjects here, I'm, I apologize, Abraham, but I'm going to ask one last question, even though I'm going to get chewed it out later. Um, <laughs> Corbin Carroll, outfielder, formerly of Lakeside, who's a product of Arizona Diamondbacks. What's his status? He's the best prospect in baseball. I'll just leave it at that. Okay. It, it, no, 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 no. We're not leaving it at that. <laughs> if Brian Solak's going to ask Details. one last question, then I'm getting my money's worth. <laughs> the best prospect in baseball. What? 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 Yep. What makes you say that? What? What, uh, uh, what do you see for, in him? Pound for pound, pound for pound. Corbin Carroll has more bat speed than anyone in the minors. Pound for pound. Um, I think it's true plus home run power. I think he's going to hit 25 to 30 homers a year. I think he could steal 25 bases. I think he could hit 285. I think he's going to play center field. All of this is contingent on him not. I mean, he blew out his shoulder swinging and missing. Like he did what Tatis does. That's mm-hmm. that's pretty unbelievable stuff. Are you, are you calling him that level? No. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. Who does he but, mirror, um, if you were to mirror him, what would he look like? Comparable, uh, yeah. I think, he's Brian, I think he's Brian Reynolds. Okay. I, I really do. Yeah, he's not a switch hitter, but um, man, I, I Corbin Carroll, I, I will say like I, I think Adley Rutschman has graduated. If he hasn't, Adley Rutschman is still the best prospect in baseball, but um, I think he's a better prospect than Riley Green, and that says a lot because Riley Green is crushing it in Detroit right now. So, And yeah. where can people find out more information about players like that that are up and coming? Uh, so, I mean, there's a lot of resources. I'm going to plug our site. I'm trying to plug you. I'm trying uh, to get you to plug That's what he's leading you into, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Real smooth there. Uh, don't want to, you know, pump us too much. But, no, no, uh, that's the whole point yeah, of this. Yeah, so we do, uh, we do top 30. Uh, so a, a little bit about Prospects Live. One thing that we really incorporate in our uh, scouting reports, all of our top 30 reports for for team guys is, is data. Exit velos, swing decisions, um, you know, home to first times we we give the kind of crude numbers as to why a grade is what it is and then we provide you the whole scouting report so um you can find top 30 uh prospect rankings for every team over at prospects live uh and then also if you're into the mlb draft if you're into amateur baseball uh, you can find the top 600 uh, prospects for the 2022 mlb draft and you can also find um the top 200 prospects for the 2023 draft and uh, yeah, so that's have, where you can find all my work. Do you have social? Yep. You can find me on Twitter at, uh, at Joe Doyle, M I L B. And um, I don't, 
really have an Instagram because I'm a pretty private guy. I don't like to share what I'm doing. And I frankly don't really care what other people are doing. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you have a show on YouTube every Monday? Yeah. So that that's going to come to an end uh, as the draft is here. It's called MLB draft weekend review. And it, it goes over the highlights and the updates on, on, on different prospects stock as it pertains to the college baseball season and the high school baseball season that's going on. But yeah, I mean, that'll definitely come back uh, this fall once baseball kicks back up and the Cape Cod league comes to an end. So um, yeah, if you follow me on, if you follow me on Twitter, you're going to find all of that good stuff. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you, Mr. Joe Doyle of prospect life. Uh, So we always like to end out the show on a uh, positive note, uh, just a shout out. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and kick this one off this week, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to double down and give another shout-out to one Daniel Enneberg. Happy birthday, sir. Matt, over to you. Uh, well, yeah, okay. Uh, well, then I'll, I'm going to double dip, and I'll, I, I want to give a shout-out also to Daniel Enneberg, who is awesome and deserves the shout-out. But I also want to give a, a shout-out to my parents, who ju- are about to close on a new home here in the uh, Marysville area. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty excited for them, and we'll finally get them settled in a new home and get to have all kinds of adventures up there. Nice. Brian, up to you. I'm just going to give a shout-out to uh, – I lost a friend. Her name was Anne Lucier. I grew up with her brothers who are good friends of mine. I just wanted to say rest in peace and all my best to the family. So, All right, Joe, try to follow that. Thank you. I want to give a shout out to actually my wife. Uh, we are going to be celebrating our uh, one year wedding anniversary here in about a week. And, oh, wow. uh, week Congratulations. Congrats. Yeah, congrats. Awesome. Well, thank you, everybody. Uh, Again, that was uh, Joe Doyle. Uh, Check him out on Prospects Live. Also, check him out on Twitter. We are the Seattle Sports Union. On behalf of that damn Dirty Duck Matt Page, this old man, Brian Solak, my name is Abraham Deweese. We'll see you guys next time. Go Cougs. Boo. (laughs) No, go Cougs always, baby. Yes. (laughs) When's your anniversary? July 10th. Okay, my, my, my wife.